Hey, Life Canton. Uh, Roger here, Director of Student and Young Adult Ministries. So glad that you're with us today, whether you're a first-time listener of our podcast or a returning listener. Uh, either way, be sure to like, subscribe, follow, so that you can see all of our, not just our sermons, but the other stuff we put out. Um, this week, I'll actually be putting out another staff interview. Haven't had one of those in a while, so be sure to like, subscribe, follow all that so you can uh, stay up to date on that stuff. Uh, also, don't forget that this uh, community is one in which God is active, uh, in which God is up to a lot, and if you want to participate in what he's doing, you can do that many ways, but one of the ways is by give. So feel free to head over to our Life Church Can uh, forward slash give page uh, and give a, a gift, a recurring gift to support the mission of God at our church. Uh, but this week we are still in our summer series on Second Timothy, which has just been a really cool opportunity to dive deeper into uh, this relationship between Timothy and Paul and the book as a whole. Uh, you're actually about to hear a message from me uh, about Second uh, Timothy three. Uh, it's about the posture we take as a church towards the culture. So give that a listen, and I will catch up with you in just a minute. <laughs> My name is Roger, and I am the student director and uh, director of young adult ministries here at Life Can. We're so excited that you're here, whether you're online or in person. It's been a joy. If, you, if you've been here, you know that we're going through Second Timothy as a series for the summer. It's been such a joy to dive into not only this letter as a whole, but Paul and Timothy's relationship. As someone who works with students, I always find so much, uh, so much from their relationship and what it looks like to disciple young people. Uh, speaking of young people, we are also taking a deep dive into Genesis throughout the course of our, the summer with our students in our house churches. So if you have a student who you think may be interested in that, please let me know. Come find me in the lobby or just uh, email me directly. I would love to get them connected. But as we've gone through Second Timothy especially, I have found more and more, the more we dive into it, the, the longer we spend time with it, I find that a lot of the issues that Paul and Timothy faced during their time are things that the church is still going through. And we're going to talk about one of those shared issues today. But before we do that, and my students are used to this, I like to start off with a question. So I'm going to start you with a question today that I want you to think about. And that question is this. Is the church at war? Why do I ask that? Well, for the past, say, 40 to 50 years, there has been this idea, especially in the evangelical church, that we are at war with our culture. This idea that the church is fighting a battle with politics, with pop culture, with the institutions of this country. And maybe you aren't familiar with that term, culture war, or you haven't really heard of this ideology. That's okay. Let me give you some examples of some ways that this has played out, uh, some older, some more recent. Uh, so in the 70s, there were these gatherings of church people to actually burn books and CDs. No one? No one's going to correct me? Okay, we'll say CDs. <laughs> uh, but to burn books and CDs... Uh, for the purpose of, of th- they would have issues with these pieces of media. They would say that they were dangerous or they were unbiblical or sometimes even that they were satanic. So they would gather together and they would burn these items. Uh, maybe one a little bit more recently in the early 2000s, Starbucks removed Merry Christmas from the red coffee cups and the church lost their mind. <laughs> we had a lot to say about that and a lot of it was actually quite heated. Uh, here's another one. For the past few decades, Christians and the church have had a lot to say about prayer in schools, right? We, we've had a lot to say about whether or not the Supreme Court should allow this practice in schools. And again, it can get quite heated and quite angry. Let me end with one more that I feel like happens every other week, 
right? We see a, a movie come out, especially children's movies on Netflix or Hulu or Disney Plus or, or whatever. And they're movies that we have concerns with or we disagree with or we even think are exposing our children to some worldviews that we find dangerous. And usually, if you hop on social media, you can find Christians going after not just the movie, but going after Disney, going after Netflix with a lot of, again, angry, heated things to say. So these are some examples of what I'm talking about. But my point is that the church, in many ways, has become known for going after specific causes in the culture with aggression and often with anger. So let me ask my questions again. Is the church at war? And let me add some additional questions. Should we be at war? And what is the threat against the church? Well, as we often find with Scripture, this is not the first time the church has wrestled with this issue, uh, specifically this issue of church and the culture. Fortunately, we're in 2 Timothy, where we have a letter that uh, Paul and Timothy directly address this issue that is happening in their context. So we're going to be in 2 Timothy 3 today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. I'm going to have it on the screen. But if you would like to have one, because our desire is not for you just to come on a Sunday and hear what we have to teach, but also that you would go home and study it yourself. So if you need a Bible or want one, please let us know. We would love to give you one. We have plenty. But go ahead and open to uh, Timothy 3.1, and we're going to kick off in verse 1 where Paul says this to Timothy. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. All right, so we're reversing, and I'm going to stop us because we're already <laughs> coming across a loaded term. There's a couple of these in uh, these verses, but I want to spend time on this one specifically because there's a term here that I think if we misunderstand or misinterpret, we're actually going to miss the application of what Paul is teaching to our modern context. So let me talk about it for a second. What came to mind when you saw this term, the last days? Was it fire and brimstone? Maybe earthquakes and dragons? Some of the imagery we see in Scripture. Scripture does talk about the end times, and often we interpret it as referring to the last days of judgment when Jesus comes back a second time. That is talked about. But I need you to know that in this text, in, in uh, 2 Timothy 3, that's not what Paul is talking about. Often when New Testament authors use this, this phrase, the last days, what they're actually talking about is the period of time from when Jesus went back to heaven the first time, when he was with them, we read about that in the Gospels, to when he comes back a second time. So it's actually referring to this big space of period so far, about 2,000 years, that the church operated in back in Paul and Timothy's day, and that we continue to operate in now. And it's really important that you understand that, because that means that what Paul teaches Timothy is going to directly apply to some of our issues with culture in the church today. I've heard this phrase used before, and maybe you've heard it. Uh, scripture is not written to us, but it is written for us. So that applies to this situation, right? Paul is writing to Timothy's specific context and what his church is going through, but what he teaches them is going to be applicable to all churches even to this day. So what is Paul warning Timothy about? Well, he says that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. What is he talking about? What, what's going to make these times difficult? We'll, we'll get to that in a second. But first, I want you to have a particular lens on as we talk about Timothy in these verses. Uh, Pastor Jared told us last week, I'm going to remind us again, that Timothy is a young leader. He's probably in his 20s. 
Um, not only is he a young leader, but he is a young leader of a church. And I don't know if any of you adults or even students remember trying to lead when you were young, but it's difficult. It comes with some challenges and some things to overcome. And, and I'll tell you from experience that being a young leader of a church comes with its own particular set of, of difficulties and, and pressures. And I would actually consider myself a young leader in the church, right? I've only been in youth ministry for uh, about six years, been in paid ministry about three or four. So in many ways, I would view myself as still a young leader of the church. So when I read these letters to Timothy, I often find myself empathizing with him and thinking about my experience with being a young leader in the church. I think about uh, the pressure to prove myself to those around me who I perceive as uh, older or wiser, just more accomplished in the field of ministry, or even just the pressure to appear adequately wise to people with just more general life experience than I have. I think about the feelings of inadequacy that can creep up when I'm uh, counseling families on how to disciple their children when I don't have any children of my own. Think about bringing correction to people that I worry don't care about my opinion. I even think about, some, and I've shared about this before, but some of the anxieties I have when I step up onto stage in a room full of people. I think about all of these insecurities, all of the pressure, all of the stress that comes with being the young leader of a church. So now let me ask you, can you feel that pressure? Can you begin to see the kind of situation that Timothy is in, where he's dealing probably, I have to assume, with all of these similar pressures even back then, the same anxieties and stresses. So what does Paul say to this young man who's dealing with all of that pressure? Does he come to him and, and does he say, you got this, your, your skills and your talents and your abilities are enough, don't worry about it? Not quite. Let's, let's keep reading in verse uh, 2. This is what Paul says. For people will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. Oh, I don't know about you guys, but that is quite the list. That's a lot. How did you feel as I went through that list? Did you have particular people or people groups in mind as you read all those descriptions of the evil people? Did it stress you out more? Did you feel a sense of urgency or dread or threat as you heard about them? Are you ready to go to war, to go to battle, seeing this long list of all of the pressures and all of the things that Timothy is up against? And again, think about Timothy, his position. How do you think it made him feel? Do you think this list brought him comfort or gave him another list of more things, more situations, more people that he had to be worried about? And why would Paul do this? Why would he, he write to this young man and, and give him a list of people to be on the lookout for? Was he trying to make Timothy more stressed than he already was? What are some of the big issues that Paul covers in this list? Some of the big ideas. He talks about greed and disobedience, pride, being unloving, being unforgiving, loving pleasure rather than God, 
and cruelness. Do any of those sound familiar? Did you find yourself nodding your head to anything in that list? Do you think that these are things that Timothy would have encountered in the Roman culture that he was surrounded by? Last week, Jared showed us how Paul taught Timothy to deal with difficult people. And I think what Paul is doing this week is teaching him how to deal with a difficult culture. I think the purpose of this list is not to point out every single kind of individual person that Timothy has to be on the lookout for, so much as it is Paul painting a picture of the kind of culture that was surrounding Timothy in his day. And here's the thing. I don't know if you knew this about Paul, but Paul loves him some lists. It's like his favorite thing. He used lists all over, especially in his letters to churches. And each time, I would argue that the list is less about the individual items and more about the whole. Paul is often trying to paint a particular picture of the situation that the church is in rather than give us a checklist of do's and don'ts. And in fact, if we don't understand that, then the picture we get of Paul is this very legalistic, uh, Bible-thumping, to use one of our phrases, uh, individual, individual Christian. But that's actually what Paul was often fighting against. So don't misunderstand Paul's list as a, do, uh, a do's and don'ts. It's a picture of what he is trying to teach Timothy. And here's the other thing. I don't think things are that different for our culture today, for our church, and the culture we find ourselves surrounded by. I often hear discussion or talk about how this is the worst generation, about how uh, culture is more evil and more ungodly than it's ever been, and we are in the end times. And I would say that Paul would disagree pretty heavily with all of that. In fact, based on what Paul wrote, it sounds like he was encountering some of the same issues that we like to talk about today, 2,000 years ago. And that he actually expected the church to face all of those kinds of issues and all of those kinds of individuals literally until Jesus came back. So again, this is not just a Paul and Timothy problem. What he teaches Timothy about the culture will apply to us today. In fact, I think he's going to answer some of those questions that I asked you at the beginning of my message. So let's keep on going and see what he tells Timothy. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Timothy 3, 5 to 7. He goes on and he says this, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. So, what's going on here? First, we see Paul warns Timothy about the culture at large. And then he adds this interesting sentence on the end where he's talking about people in the culture who say they are religious, but are not followers of God. And then he moves on to begin to talk about false teachers. Now, when he talks about false teachers, he is referring directly to Timothy's situation. Uh, Timothy is in a church where he has a really big problem with uh, false teachers in the community leading specifically wealthy women astray by teaching them incorrectly and leading them to be quarrelsome and problematic for the church at large. And I would say, again, that we have modern-day equivalents of false teachers. 
Maybe as I said that word false teacher, you had some individuals come to mind, some names pop up for you. But the point that Paul is making is not to call out false teachers by name. If that was his point, he would have done it, and he didn't. Actually, too, for us to go out and call out false teachers and go after them publicly completely flies in the face of the message that he is giving Timothy. Because what he tells Timothy is to avoid them. There we go. <laughs> stay away from people like that. The highlighting is more for me than you guys. Uh, just stay away from people like that. And I don't know if you've been keeping a tally yet, but this is the fourth time he said that to Timothy throughout the course of this letter. Again and again, he says, avoid them, avoid them, avoid them. Stay away from them. Ignore them. Don't engage them. Don't argue with them. Don't fight them. Don't worry about them. On paper, this seems like a pretty simple command, right? Avoid evil people and false teachers. Stay away from them. But again, I want you to consider Timothy's position. Timothy, who was a young leader of a church, probably wrestling with a lot of those same insecurities uh, and doubts that I brought up before, who's probably feeling the pressure and the weight of his responsibility, who's probably very worried about uh, his church's exposure to the culture and the way that these false teachers are coming in and taking advantage of these women. He's probably feeling the weight of that, the gravity of what he is up against as a leader. And Paul doesn't step in here and say, you got this, your talents, your abilities, you're great, don't worry about it. He does say don't worry about it, but not because of Paul's abilities. And I got to ask, what, what kind of advice is that? What is the point of this list? What is the point of this list, Paul, if, if you're just going to list all of these things and then say, don't worry about it. I think about it this way. It's kind of like he's sitting in a room with Timothy and he's saying, see that big red button? It's dangerous and scary. You see it? Okay, don't touch it. <laughs> it's kind of like that. Why is he doing that? Isn't, isn't Paul concerned? Isn't he worried? Isn't he worried about the evil culture that the church finds itself surrounded by? Isn't he worried about these abusive false teachers? Isn't... Isn't he worried about the pressure and what they're up against? Shouldn't he be telling Timothy to go and publicly correct these false teachers, to, to fight them, to battle them? Shouldn't he be telling him to get on the street corners and correct the culture? Shouldn't he be telling him to do anything, really? Something. Is this not an emergency? Is this not a threat that the church is coming up against? What is going on? Well, we're going to read the next couple of verses and see why Paul doesn't do any of that because he, he moves on to verse 8. He says this, These teachers oppose the truth just as Yanes and Yambres opposed Moses. They have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith, but they won't get away with this for long. Someday, everyone will recognize what fools they are just as with Yanes and Yambres. So these two short verses contain the reason the reason for Paul's confidence, the reason that he keeps telling Timothy, don't worry about these evil people and these false teachers. He says that someday these teachers, these depraved teachers of fake faith, are, are going to be seen for the fools that they are. Why? Because of what happened to Yanes and Yambres. And, and you guys get that, right? I don't have to, I have to explain. Everyone knows who Yanes and Yambres is? Okay, good. <laughs> Thanks for being honest. <laughs> 
Yeah, so uh, the Jewish audience would have understood this reference probably because of rabbinic tradition, but we need some context clues. And our biggest context clue uh, is Moses. And based on that, we know that what Paul is talking about actually goes all the way back to Exodus uh, 7 and 8. And this is the story of Moses and how God called him to go get his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt and, and get them out of slavery under the Pharaoh. And before he went, God gave him a couple of miracles that he could perform so that he could put God's power on display. One of those was turning his, uh, his staff into a snake. So we know that Moses went to Pharaoh and said, my God says to let his people go and showed him the power by turning his staff into a snake. But scripture also tells us that Pharaoh wasn't really that impressed. In fact, Pharaoh called all of his court magicians and, and demanded that they replicate the same miracle that Moses had performed. And actually, Scripture tells us that they did. Until Moses' snake ate all of their snakes. I don't know why, but I get a picture of like hungry, hungry hippos with like snakes though. (laughs) But it actually tells us that they were able to replicate the miracle that Moses performed. So what is the point of this story? What is Paul trying to teach us by bringing up this story? Well, I think in a way this actually further proves establishing God's supremacy over Pharaoh's magicians. Well, they may have been able to fabricate something that looked like God's power. It was a fake power that didn't hold up against the God of the universe. Let me put this another way. This world may look powerful, but its power has nothing on God. Amen. There it is. That is the source of Paul's confidence. That is why he tells Timothy again and again to avoid people who appear to be a threat to the church because they're not a threat to God at all. God will take care of them. So Paul has no cause to to worry, no cause to be anxious, no reason to be scared, no reason to panic. In fact, Paul is saying that this is not an emergency. For it to be an emergency would imply that God couldn't take care of it, and that's not true. And we know that. Think about what we sang about today, right? We we sang about the God of thunder and lightning and miracles, the God who raises dead things back to life. And then we asked for God to turn his face towards us. We asked for his favor, and we reminded each other that God is with us in all seasons and all situations. Paul is reminding Timothy that God said he's got it. So won't he do it? Won't he do it? There we go. And let me show you something because Jesus also said he would. Let's real quick go to Matthew 16, 18. And this is a scene where Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he's talking to Peter. And this is what he says to Peter. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And here it is. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So God said he would do it. And Jesus said that his church will not be overcome. He said there's no power that will defeat it. There's no culture which will be a threat to it. There's no false teacher that will destroy it. There is no threat to be found against his church. That is Paul's reminder to Timothy, that our response to difficulty should never be urgency because God is in control. 
And I want to be clear about something too. There is a difference between do not worry and do not care. Paul is not encouraging apathy. He's encouraging participation. All through the letter of 2 Timothy, we see him encourage Timothy to to endure, to bear the torch, to continue on in what God is doing in his church and his community. He is encouraging him to release his anxiety and any sense of panic as he participates in what God is up to. He is inviting him to endure the difficulty because there will be difficulty. This will not be easy. Paul promised that at the beginning of this letter. But he is he's inviting him to weather the difficulty, secure in the knowledge that God's in control. And that nothing that this culture throws at us will overcome God's activity or God's power. And this is something that, I don't know about you, but I need uh, reminders of pretty often in my personal life. I will go ahead and share a, a story of something that happened recently that I'm not super proud of. Uh, you can fact check it with Pastor Jared. He will, uh, what's the word, affirm? Witness? I don't know, whatever. There's a legal term that I can think of right now. But <laughs> so we're, myself and Jaden are sitting at a table uh, in the office, and Jared walks in, and Jared had been talking to us about uh, leading us through a book to kind of mentor us and have some discussions about faith and, and some really good stuff. And he walks in, and he says, I got a book I think that we should read together. Uh, and he says, this book is called Jesus and John Wayne. If any of you, if any of you know me, uh, you know that sometimes I have strong opinions, and sometimes I present those opinions in a very strong way. <laughs> and this was one of those times, because I turned to Jared, and I said something to the effect of, over my dead body will I read that book, which is strong, <laughs> which is too strong. And for you to understand why I had that reaction, I've shared a little bit about my story before, but I grew up with a pretty unstable father figure. Uh, And when you grow up like that, you develop a lot of insecurities and doubts about what it means to be a man. Paired with that, I also had and have a lot of issues with the way that this culture has taught us to be men in the past. So I, I heard the name John Wayne, and, and somewhere along the line, it was explained to me that like John Wayne was the kind of figurehead of this old way of being a man. So I heard his name, and I just I flew off the handle. Instead of listening, I just said, nope, over my dead body, which is, don't say that. That's so strong. <laughs> but I did. I, I lost it a little bit. And there is a term that our culture has coined for this, uh, toxic masculinity. And I bet that as I said that word, some of you had a pretty strong reaction to it. Maybe on one side of the equation, you felt uh, an agreeance that culture has created an unhealthy or abusive view of what it means to be a man, or maybe you fall on the other side and you think that this is just a term that culture is using to make men less manly. Either way, I want you to think about my response. My view is not important, and I'm not going to sit here right now and explain to you why I think what I think. But think about the way I responded. Was my response gentle or gracious or peaceful? Or was it warlike and aggressive and angry? And if you responded to those words, toxic masculinity, in a strong way, with anger or aggression, I would just ask you, 
Is that the response that Paul is trying to teach Timothy? Right. Last week, Pastor Jared talked about how Paul is teaching Timothy to have a, a posture of gentleness and humility and peacefulness with difficult people. And now I think he's encouraging us to have that same posture with the culture. Because he is secure in the knowledge that God is in control. And that's something I also need to be reminded of as a leader in God's church, right? I can get so wrapped up in my anxiety and my performance and the numbers and all of the things that I fear uh, are attacking youth in the culture. And I begin to think that I have to do more, that I have to be better, that I'm somehow not good enough for this, this task that God has called me to. But then I'm reminded by texts like this one that this is not my church. This is God's church. And at the end of the day, all of the threats, all the things we worry about, the things that look like they are going to be a risk for the church have to come face to face with the God of the universe. And that brings me some comfort and some peace. I'm sure it brought Timothy some comfort and some peace as well. I'm sure it lessened his anxieties and the pressure that he was under. I'm sure that after Paul had given him this reminder that his, his anxieties and all of those threats that he was worried about before seemed smaller in comparison to God. I want to point out something here. Um, you haven't heard me talk a lot about students, and usually that is my primary concern, but there is a reason for this. I actually think st- students are leading the way in this, leading the way in adopting a new posture towards culture, which is filled with gentleness and humility and kindness. Since I've been here, we've led them through some really tough conversations. We've wrestled through them with some things that were tough theologically and just tough for them in their day-to-day lives. And their response consistently has been gentleness and kindness and patience. I think young people are beginning to see that the way church has done things in the past when it comes to culture is not the way they want to do things. So, first of all, I want to encourage students to keep that up. Because you will be the leaders and the examples that adults look to as you grow, as what it looks like for the church to be gentle and kind as it approaches culture. And adults, I would ask you to, A, think about the example you are setting for students, but also, B, to begin to maybe look more like your students, because they're doing a good job with this. So, as a body of Christ in the modern world, Surrounded by what Paul calls evil people and an evil culture and false teachers, do we remember what Paul is saying here? Do we operate as if there is no threat to the church? Do we respond with a lack of urgency and a lack of worry? Or do we react to the culture around us with aggression and fear? Do we go to war with it? And maybe you don't think you do. But I want you to think about how you respond to the school, how you respond to popular movies, how we talk about megachurch pastors, how we talk about culture, how we talk about this country, how we respond to unchristian ideas or worldviews on social media. Do we respond in a way that paints these things as major threats to the church that must be destroyed tomorrow? Paul does not impart this sense of urgency or threat to Timothy. He tells them to avoid them and to trust that God is in control. 
to respond with a posture of gentleness and humility and peacefulness. So knowing that, is it appropriate for the church to go to war over movies, to battle over coffee cups, to yell about prayer in schools, or should we take a more gentle, humble approach to how we respond to these issues in our culture? I'm going to bring us back to those questions I asked at the beginning of my message because I think we're ready to answer them. Is the church at war? No. Not with people, not with the culture. Should we be? No. For us to to walk around as if the church is under any real threat is to belittle God's power and to forget who is in control. And lastly, what is the threat? There is none. There is no threat that is bigger than the power of our God. So I want to challenge you in two ways this week. I want to leave you with two action steps. First, I want you to put down your weapons. What are the things that stir up urgency and fear and anxiety in you? And I would argue that the two primary sources of this are social media, cable news. By extension, people in your lives who are glued to these sources and who are constantly coming to you with a voice of anxiety and concern and urgency. And not only do these sources present Uh, fear and panic to us, but they actually stir up even more fear and panic than was present in the first place. So I'm going to challenge you this week to put down your weapons by taking a break for one week or longer from cable news and social media. I'm going to ask you to create some healthy boundaries this week from people in your lives who are constantly mouthpieces for those sources. If it's a friend, maybe limit your time you spend with them just for this week. Or if it's a family member, Can't get away from them. (laughs) Maybe. Just limit the kinds of conversations that you have with them. Limit the kinds of topics that you're willing to get into with them. And I know this is going to be tough. I know these are not easy asks. These are things that we are, everything in our culture points us to every day, but I'm going to ask that you try this. And as you put down your weapons, as you take a break from those voices and those pressures, I want you to fill that space. So I'm going to give you one more action step. And that is, I want you to remember the cross. As you create that space and as you create those boundaries for this week, I want you to fill that space and those boundaries with the cross. I want you to read the crucifixion account of Jesus found in the Gospel of John. Why? Because Jesus' response to the devil, to the world, to culture, is the cross. Jesus' response to the threats of his day and the threats for all time to come, was to get on a cross, to die, to suffer for our sake. His response to the world was obedience, reliance, and trust in his Father. So when we talk about our posture as a church in response to the culture, if it doesn't model the cross, then what are we doing? Not following him. So I would challenge you this week as you see what look like threats and as you feel what feels like pressure and urgency to remember the cross because that is our model of our response. Now, some of you 
didn't know some of these things. You didn't know that God was bigger than your threats or your worries or your concerns. You didn't know that he has built a community of people where safety can be found, not from your situation, but safety from anxiety and urgency and dread. Because we are a community who relies on a father who has promised that he's got this. And if you didn't know that, that's okay. Today, I want to invite you not only into a relationship with that God, that amazing, incredible God, but with this community. We're not perfect, but we are doing our best to pursue him and to adopt a Christ-like posture. I want to do that through prayer. But I'm going to ask that everyone put their hands palm up. Because you know what the first step in modeling the cross is? It's submission. It's turning over your life, your worries, your anxieties, your pressures to God, and leaving them at the feet of the cross. So let's turn our palms up and lower our heads as we pray to him. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for being the God of lightning and thunder and miracles, the God who brings dead things back to life. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the model of a new way to do things, a new way to respond, a way to respond that is rooted in faith in you and love of others. God, there are people in this room who are coming with burdens, burdens too big to bear. And today they heard that there is a person that they can place those burdens in. So I ask that you surround them with love, with comfort. Help them to encounter you today in this moment, in this second, as they stand before you with their palms up and their heads bowed. And God, I ask that you surround this community, that you teach us what it looks like to have those kinds of responses rooted in gentleness and humility on the cross in our community. Allow us to lead. God, people are looking. Young people and the culture around us is looking. Let them see you. Not our warlike posture, not our anger, not our aggression, but let them see the cross submission, love of God and love of others. Model in us that response so that we can do this here and go out into our community and do the same. God, we love you. I pray all this in your name. Welcome back. Uh, Usually I'd share a thought on the sermon, but I just gave the sermon you heard, so no thoughts to share. But if you are going through anything, whether you're processing something from that sermon or just something in general, please, please reach out. Let us know if you need prayer or any other kind of support. Uh, we are a community that believes that you belong to God. And since you belong to God, you belong to us. So we want to make sure that you experience that belonging in our community. So we'd love to support you uh, if it's for prayer or, or whatever. Uh, you can reach out on the Connect card or just reach out to someone in the community directly. So I encourage you to do that um, this week as you create some of that space that I talked about from Voices of Urgency. I hope you experience the peace and the joy of God. Uh, have a blessed week and we'll see you again real soon.